everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum Radio Show here on Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, but most importantly, bought and paid for bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to better understand and defend your faith by thinking biblically. It's the same way Jesus did it. I am super excited today to have not one, but two local youth pastors in the Portland area on the show today. Daniel McCleskey and Justin Veneer both grew up in Christian homes, both attended Christian universities, and are both serving in full-time ministry now as youth pastors at solid churches in the Portland area. Daniel and Justin, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks thanks for having us. So let's get started by getting to know each of you a little better. Can you give us a quick synopsis of how you grew up, how you became a born-again Christian, and how you got to where you are today in the ministry? Sure, yeah, I can start. So I, very brief testimony is I was always a Christian, but really the urgency started when I hit college, you know, in Mm. the season when I was before these people at PCC who had just completely different worldview, didn't know the Bible, hadn't, you know, experienced God in any kind of a meaningful way. Right. And then contrasting like how you think versus how they think, it was just so eye-opening for Mm. me and it gave me a new level of appreciation. So, you know, and I've been exposed to people who are atheists that done public school, private school, homeschool, kind of yeah. the whole works. But until then, it wasn't when it set in mm. as something that I really needed to pursue, at least as something that I wanted to do as a mission with my life. You know? Right. So then was when I started doing a lot more volunteering and helping out with church, doing <laughs> ministry. And then, yeah, just I was actually working in finance and I was on a corporate track. And so there's always this kind of two track line I was on where I was serving at church and loved being at church and loved the word, but kind of always thought I needed to have a professional track to be on something I was doing to be professionally advanced, I guess. Mm. And so finance was that. And I thought eventually I would just make enough money that I could do ministry and not have to worry about if I was paid enough. Mm. And really the Lord kind of showed me, no, you need a lot longer of a runway than what I originally thought. Mm. And so he kind of called me to do this multi-site with Athey Creek. And I started in children's ministry with them. I got transferred to work in online church for kids. So, and then after that, I did junior high for a year. And then I've done high school for just over a year now. So very cool. Yeah. How about you, Justin? Yeah, I grew up here in the Portland area my whole life. My parents love the Lord, and my brother loves the Lord. He's a couple years younger than me, and grew up with family that was always really involved in the church. But unlike Daniel, we didn't grow up in the same church. I've gone to several different ones, Mm -hmm. uh, mainly because of my parents serving and just being a faithful example. My mom 
was the principal of a Christian school and that had us attending the church that was a part of it Mm. growing up. And I don't mean to throw shade, but uh, theologically there was some stuff uh, there that probably was the most helpful as a young believer. And so the idea of having any sort of security with the Lord and Mm. believing that I was secure in his hands and that he had me um, Mm. wasn't a thing I could grasp. And so I'd get really freaked out. And so I remember vividly at 12, like crying on the couch, you know, talking to my mom, similar to you, talking about talking to your mom, just afraid of death. And she shared the gospel with me. And my parents were so good at, even though maybe things we were hearing in different Christian circles we were in weren't always the most spot on of really opening up the word in our family and helping us know what was true. And then in God's goodness, when I was in eighth grade, I ended up going to Southwest Christian, which is the school that's attached to the church that I'm now a pastor at. And the school there had a big emphasis on memorizing scripture, Mm. which I'm eternally grateful for. And so as an eighth grader, what really I feel like it was like regenerative moment was memorizing Colossians 1, 15 through 21 Mm. about just who Jesus is, the image of the invisible God, all the fullness of God dwells in him. All things are made through him and for him. And really was confronted with a Jesus who wasn't just a good example but a Jesus who was God in the flesh and could save. Mm. And so I think I came to saving faith at like 12, but really started to grasp who Jesus was as an eighth grader. And then uh, freshman year had a mentor who loved evangelism. And so every Wednesday after school, he would take me to downtown Portland and point at people and say, go tell them about Jesus. <laughs> and I loved it. And so I grew a huge heart for evangelism as a freshman. Cool. And then just had some amazing mentors in my life when I was in high school. Uh, the guy whose job I now have, he was my youth pastor. He's still on staff at our church, discipled me. And and then in college, I thought I was probably going to be going the business route, kind of like Daniel had in his life. And then in God's goodness, he pulled me a different direction and uh, gave me opportunity to be leading the youth at our church. And wow. so I was in 2014. So I've been doing full-time youth ministry for eight years and really, really thankful for the past eight years. Thank you guys for sharing that. One of the things that I know is a part of both of your stories is going to a Christian college. Yeah. So you've got this kind of different background. What was your experience there? And, and do you have any advice for people who are at that point right now with a kid who's been raised in the faith and and is looking at colleges? What would you guys have to say to them? Well, I'd say for me, because I transferred into a Christian college, so... At first, I was in a really secular college, and that was good for the season that I was in. And like I said, it was a big part of my testimony. Right. Because this one conversation was mm. huge for me that I had with this one gal. It was in a biology class. We had just been talking about how basically they believe that the amount of free energy in the universe is set to eventually expire, yeah. right? Yeah. At the end of all things. And so I said, well, what happens then? And they talked about what they called the universe death theory, Mm, where all matter is equally dispersed across all of the universe. So every atom is equally distant from each other. It's just static, no movement. And so I said to this gal, you know, how do you rationalize anything about why we're here? Why Mm. is there morality? Why is there justice? Why is there purpose? None of it. Using my analytic side, I drew this whole thing out and kind of made the case for why I just couldn't believe any of that. Right. And she said, well, I I guess I have no purpose. 
but I'm okay wow. with that. It, you know, she was like a bartender in Portland. Wow. And she just wanted to do her thing. Yeah. It was one of the first times I'd experienced somebody who could be okay with that, that mm. they didn't have a purpose wow. and that there wasn't anything beyond that. And it was so sad, but to experience biology and mathematics through this opposing worldview that right. you can not have a purpose. Wow. Whoa. I had never had that yet. And so that was really eye opening and it made me want to go and answer all those questions about purpose and morality. Mm. But again, with the worldview of God being real and wanting to have a relationship with his mm. creation and, and the creation longing for him, he just fit every question every, cool. he answered for me. And it was just because of that contrast. Right. And then, you know, coming then to a Christian school, transferring in that difference between light and dark, hot and cold mm. goes away. At least mm. for me, it did. And I experienced a lot more of that lukewarm. You have yeah. people who claim to love the Lord and who claim to know the Bible and to love mm. God's word, mm. but they have a whole jarble of differing worldviews right. that are in contradiction to themselves or to God's word or both. Right. And then they're still nice people and they still claim to be Christians. And so you have to deal with how to make sense of that in your mind. And where do you really stand and what mm. does God's word really say? Mm. And that was a good experience too. But for anybody that's looking at schools to go to, my advice would be make sure that you're going still to pursue Jesus, not just the academic, mm, mm. and then make sure that you're plugged in at some kind of a church that's still reading God's word so they can unpack it. When you think back for you, which of those was harder? Well, <laughs> they were harder in different ways. I think the Christian university was harder, and I think mm. it would be even more difficult today than even you know five or six years ago when mm. I was in school. Yeah, <laughs> You can get comfortable with people in a Christian school because they're Christians yeah. and even enjoy their company and have a lot of the same interests and mm, socially mm. you click and it's not until, you know, the 10th time at their house that you find out that, Oh, whoa, we are Wait. polar opposite <laughs> on this issue. And it's not yeah. always faith defining. Sure. It's not always, you know, doctrine essential, yeah. but it is there. And it, yeah. it makes it uncomfy uh, and you can lose yeah. friendships or you can doubt yourself mm. because you've already established so much trust with those people. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. I would just say my main advice to someone would be is that the number one lie people can fall into in seasons of preparation is that their life and minister in the future and not current. Mm. Meaning college isn't just a preparation for your future. Oh, like your college yeah. is yeah. your life on mission now. I think that's the same for any student that I'm pastoring. It's like, it's not like, oh, one day you're going to be a Christian who can live on mission. It's like, no, that's what you're called to now. <laughs> and so I would just say for each person, it kind of mm. depends on who the student is in my sure. youth group who's maybe sure. considering. Some are in a place where I think they're ready to go to a secular university and be on mission there and be challenged and ask sure. tough questions, sure. but they have the tools necessary to sort through those. And yeah. there's a church wherever they're going who can help them with that. And some are in that place. Some probably thrive better in a Christian environment, but even then they can't go with their guard down as sure. if it's all going to be good. And no matter what, I think every Christian should, any phase of life, but especially those in college, need to both see their place that they're at for college as 
a place where I'm being challenged and built up and a place where I'm living on mission. Mm. And so going to a Christian university for me, I had no illusions that everyone mm. there was a Christian. That's good. It was like, oh, cool. Now I get to be in an environment where as being a Christian university, I can bring up faith. Sure. Without believing everyone already believes. And this can be a place of both being equipped, being wise and discerning of what I'm hearing, being on mission, you know, it can kind of be all of those. You have to be careful not to fall into a rut of just viewing it as everyone's a Christian. No, they're not. Right. You know, everyone right. here is messed up. That's not true either. Right. Right. And it's just like in every season of life, you have to be perceptive and wise and on mission. And the last thing I always say to people is I just say, university can't be saved. Meaning the whole idea of a Christian university is kind of funny (laughs) because a university isn't saved. People are saved. Sure. And so in any university, you're going to have people who love the Lord. Even at a secular university, there are people there who love the Lord. And then there are a lot of people who don't. And so, yeah, finding people who can build you up and encourage you and then being bold enough to be on mission for the Lord. And I look back. And just see what God did during those years. And I just think that college can be some of the most fruitful years mm, of ministry. That's good. I mean, living alongside other people, getting to be with them in hard times, sitting down for meals together where it's not weird to say, hey, let's grab a meal. And they're like, what's this guy's agenda? It's like, <laughs> well, that's what you do in college, you know? If people treat college missionally, it can be a really powerful time oh that's cool so that's how i I would think about it i think that's great advice and i like what i heard from both of you which is whatever you do go in eyes wide open go in having thought about it and talked about it with your parents and your teachers and your pastors and all this kind of stuff because there's gonna be a lot of things out there that if you don't prepare yourself ahead of time for you can get kind of caught off guard i remember you know, just a simple thing. I, I was born in, you know, on the West Coast, grew up in, in Oregon and Washington, and then went to the East Coast for my education. I had just gotten saved, and so I was super excited about my faith. Yeah. I didn't have those people walking through it with me saying, hey, here's a few things to be prepared for in college. Yeah. And so just having that conversation, parents, grandparents, there's so many things that, you know, a few conversations before college can help you be prepared for. So Awesome. Well, what was your first exposure to apologetics? What was your guys' experience and exposure to that? So for me, like I shared my story, starting to do evangelism as a freshman in high school, I think I didn't really see clear lines between evangelism and apologetics. And I think doing, we would be down on the park blocks there at Portland State, and people would bring up stuff that would just sound wild, you know? Like, <laughs> like I, I, mean, I, I remember talking to a guy who I asked him, you know, well, where do you think you come from? And he's like, well, I think I'm part of a rock from China and some moon dust that makes up my matter. And I was like, I thought he was making a joke. <laughs> you know, or I remember talking to a guy who was a nihilist and, and he was like kind of excited about nothingness, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. So I would talk to these people and just come back mm. really troubled and trying to figure out how to interact with it. And so I would watch, I don't know if you remember those Way of the Master, Ray Comfort. Yeah, videos. yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> but I would go watch some of those. I would talk, meet with pastors and talk to them. I talked to my parents. And so really, for me, I don't think I had a category for apologetics at first. I think I was mm. doing evangelism and then I was being asked questions that I didn't know how to answer. I think what we need to become comfortable with as Christians is 
being able to not know the answer to a question, but then having the commitment or the desire to learn that we would go find the answer yeah, to that. that's great. And so being challenged in faith is a good thing. How you respond to that challenge in faith is the really important <laughs> reality. And so yeah. that's kind of how I first got exposed to it. Hmm. And I actually would argue that that's a healthy way because I think sometimes sure. if, if it gets flipped the other way around, where someone starts studying apologetics before they've been challenged... It becomes head knowledge without practice. You yep. know what I mean? It becomes yep. head knowledge without a person yep. that you want to respond to. Then you kind of become like intellectually chubby. I don't know. I, I don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. the goal would be that you're, sure. you're nourishing your mind and your heart for as sure. you're living boldly for the Lord. And so that's kind of how I came into it. And I would just say I think apologetics when it's operating in a healthy way is being partnered with a heart of discipleship and evangelism and for sure. Commitment to Jesus. I like that. I think apologetics is something that is meant to be used. And that's one of the exciting things that I've seen ministering to so many different youth around the Portland area. A lot of the kids are like, hey, give me a little bit of teaching on this, but then kind of get out of the way because I want to go do something with it. Like, you know, they don't want to be like, hey, just give me volumes and volumes of just stuff and weeks and months and years of preparation. They're like, give me enough. And then let me go try it. And then when they try it, and you know, usually like everybody else, they fail somewhere, and they're like, okay, now I'm motivated because they're like, I just, I didn't, I hadn't thought about that part yeah. of it, and so now I want to go and you know, get even more excited about learning this thing, getting the right tool for the situation that I just found myself wanting because I didn't know. Yeah, so that's well, it's, super cool. And it's real life. Sometimes kids go into college with a lot of head knowledge, but it's not lived experience yep. of being challenged. Yep. And that can either go terrible or awesome for them. Sure. Because sometimes what they need is the challenge if they're ready for it. Yeah. And so helping kids use the knowledge that they have so that it becomes a lived knowledge, you know, yeah. something that they're living out is so important for apologetics. What you're saying, it reminds me of 1 John chapter 1. It starts with him saying, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That's mm. good. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. And then it goes on and talks about the fellowship and continuing to proclaim. But, you know, mm. you can see it and you can hear it, but then there's also after that the handling and then it's the preaching and the proclaiming. And if you don't have that handling like you're talking about, like the experience, if it's all just up in yeah. your brain, up in your head, then when it's showtime, you don't know how to proclaim. You don't know what to proclaim. You know, it's in your notebook of when you heard it or you remember something that you read, but the practice of it mm -hmm. is really, really important. So you asked about apologetics, like yeah. what our experiences were. Yeah. And for me, it was really just through the Bible study at church. I mean, Sunday, Wednesday combo. Yeah. And, you know, the Bible doesn't need a defense. It needs to be let out of its cage. And that's true in the sense, like, the Bible is just amazing. So if you spend time in it, you're going to see prophecies fulfilled. You're going to hear words that bolster your faith, that give you life and hope. And so just the word of the Bible itself is such a testimony of truth and it's logical and it doesn't contradict itself. There's so many things in it that are apologetically, I guess, necessary 
just by reading it if you take it for granted. And so, you know, in college, that gal I had a chat with when it was first contrasted, I guess, what I did then was really say, like, what if God is not true? What if the Bible is false? What does that mean for my existence? Yeah. And it started out as a what if, and that was a big apologetic experience. And I read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. That was pretty instrumental in helping approach understanding that way. Like, what if there is God? What if there is not God? And mm. then you follow those trees yeah. of where they could go. And I definitely like the results of one better than the other, you know. And really at no point as I was growing up did I ever find a question that I couldn't find an answer for mm. in the Bible by mm. somebody who was really smart <laughs> or, <laughs> or somebody who had already thought about it. And I'm thankful that, you know, we serve a God who <laughs> structured the Bible. He put everything in there on purpose yeah, so that you have to <clears throat> find those questions right. and then find right. the kind of stamina to answer those questions. You know, he, he could give his word any way he wanted to. He could sit on a rock somewhere and every single person could come and ask all the questions that they wanted to, but he didn't do it that way. There's an element of faith and searching that yeah. you have to go through. It's part of the discipline of being a Christian. Yeah, that's cool. I think a lot of people misunderstand apologetics, the way the Bible uses the term and kind of describes this concept of apologetics. And I can't remember which one of you used the word, but worldview. Man, when I finally heard that word, and I had been a Christian and had read the Bible through and through and taught the Bible for a long time before I ever ran across that word, worldview, and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's it. Like, the Bible's not, as awesome as it is, it's not just a bunch of stories. You know, it's not just, okay, David did this, and then Moses did this, and then Abraham did this, and then Jesus did this. It's like, wait a minute, Beneath that is this way that God created the whole world. Yes. It was sinful mankind that needed to be redeemed to a perfect God. And when you start thinking about the way that God created everything, it's like, wow, everything starts to click. Everything starts to make sense. For me, apologetics is just a clear, consistent worldview. You know, the second thing as you apply that is like sometimes you're going to have questions and you can go to the Bible for the answers. It's sufficient. And sometimes other people are going to have questions. And then if you just figure out a way to steer them also to the Bible to find answers, that's what they need. They don't need, even if you're the smartest guy on the planet, they don't need your opinion. They don't need your philosophy. They need you to help them do what you've done, which is say, you know what? I've read the Bible. I've prayed about this. God has shown me these things that are clearly revealed in creation and the Bible that are all consistent and hold together. This is how I got it. Let me help you get the same thing. So That's really good. And if I could just add on there, I would just say, I love that you stressed how people go about it because you're so right. It's not just so people can go own someone or dunk on them and, and That's feel right. better about themselves. Like, That's right. The reality is when I'm talking to youth is some youth have never asked those questions. Yeah. And if you read studies on it, it's fascinating how people are so distracted that they don't have the same amount of time where they're bored and wow. considering these things. Wow. But I yes. think some of the things we can do as parents and as pastors or youth leaders or whatever is in a healthy way to get students asking some of these questions and then showing them the framework and the worldview that the Bible gives for them. 
and then exposing the assumptions that our world has about certain questions. Exactly. Because it's interesting. Like the question that we get that a lot of kids think they're the first one to ask it is how does a good God allow suffering? <laughs> but for example, like I'm teaching through Second Corinthians right now, and you see in the whole first chapter how he's showing that in the Christian worldview, in God's economy, that comfort and suffering are not opposing realities. Exactly. But that God's comfort meets us in suffering. Exactly. And, and so yep. the assumption of the worldview they're getting from our culture is one that says, hey, if you're going through discomfort and suffering, there can't be a good God. Exactly. And then you show them, like, you know, you ask those questions yep. and you show them that the biblical worldview says, no, our world's full of suffering because of sin. Yep. And God in his goodness shows up, the God of all comfort in the midst of it, right? Yep. And so all I'm saying is, is I would just argue that we need to provide space, healthy space, to help kids ask questions that they might not because of how distracted our world is. And then to help them unpack it in a really biblical way. Seeing Amen. the lies of our culture Amen. and seeing the truth of God's word. Amen. That is a great place to end today. Thank you, guys. We have blown through a radio show. Anyway, I would love to invite you guys back for another conversation. Maybe we'll try and pick up where we left off. But thank you guys so much for being here today. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks, Roy. You can also visit our website at theambassadorsforum.com to check out a lot of our helpful resources and different links to how you can have these kinds of apologetics conversations as part of your everyday life. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you.